Thank you for checking out the City Church Podcast today. If this is your first time listening in with us, we want you to know you are loved. Wherever you are joining us from, we hope that this message encourages you. Now, here is Pastor Brent Coulter. How is everyone doing? It's great to see you. I missed you last week, but I was in Arizona. You know what about Arizona? It's really hot. So they had unseasonably hot weather in Arizona, which to me, it's always hot there. It was like 95 or something. And they're like, it's going to cool down next week. It's only going to be about 80 using that Fahrenheit scale. So I had a tremendous opportunity last week when I was in Arizona, my family, and I just got to go to church. Now, that might sound weird to you, but for me, (laughs) most Sundays I'm coming here and I'm preaching, which I am happy to do and I'm graced to do and I love to do it. But we just got to go to church and not have to think about anything, not have to organize anything, not have to prepare a sermon, not to think how the worship team is doing, how the slides were doing, how production was doing, how kids check-in is doing, ushers, parking lot, all the things that go on around the city church. You don't have to think about any of those things. And you know what? Church is really great. I found this out last week, so I recommend it highly every week. I just got to go, and, you know, the sermon was really good. There was lots of scriptures being used. It was a lot like here. And the worship was really good, and all the songs that we sing. And I got to give an offering. It was fantastic. And there was great kids' ministry going on. And I'm like, church is really great. So I encourage you just every week. It's a great way to start your week. Come and worship God and to be encouraged. And you get to hang out with people. So good. just like to meet people. And I got to talk to people. And nobody wanted anything from me. It was amazing. Nobody had any deep, serious questions to ask me. It was like, hey, how you doing? Blah, blah, welcome. It's great to see you. I'm like, it's great to be here at church. So I encourage you to come to church every week. It's just amazing. Anyway, we are starting a brand new series um, that's taking us all the way through Easter. It's called Grace to Grace. And uh, I just want to add my thoughts or comments to what Alan said. Just invite someone to church. Bring someone to church this Easter. People will come to church at Easter time. Easter and Christmas is an easy invite. And so we have these cards for you to, so please take a bunch. We got a bunch. Uh, so please take a bunch with you. And then what's great about inviting somebody is that they can sit with you. And if they have any questions, it'll be great. We won't be weird. We promise. It's going to be a great morning uh, just to bring somebody to church. They are going to hear about the gospel. They're going to hear about grace, which we're going to be talking about for the next many weeks here. And it's just going to be a fantastic time. So we're going to have extra seats out for the extra people coming. So you want to fill those seats with somebody that you know, somebody that needs, somebody who doesn't go to church already. Don't bring somebody who goes to another church and say, our church is better than your church. Don't do that. Find somebody in your office, on your street, who already doesn't go to church, and we are going to talk about Jesus and grace and just have an amazing time. All right, I'm so happy to be at church today. I tell you, I love church. All right, turn in your Bibles with me to First Peter chapter 5, and we are just going to be talking about grace. For the next many weeks. I'm excited about this series. Um, It's just going to be a great emphasis for the next little while. You know, and as we discuss grace, and as any series I do, um, I'll be emphasizing one topic for for many, many weeks. And when we emphasize one topic, it doesn't mean that we're de-emphasizing another topic, or it doesn't mean that one uh, topic is at odds with another topic. All of the major doctrines in the scripture, they all work together seamlessly and wonderfully. 
And so as we emphasize grace doesn't mean we're de-emphasizing faith. And just as we're emphasizing grace doesn't mean we're de-emphasizing love. All of these things actually work wonderfully well together. And we can celebrate all of these wonderful scriptures um, but grace and love and faith and, and appreciate all of uh, these intended things in the scripture and what they mean and then what do they mean to me personally and then what do they mean to me as I live out my life, my daily life? Is grace an important thing for me to know about? Is it necessary? What's the big deal about grace? And, you know, grace is definitely one of the distinctives as we, if you were to do a comparative of all the religions, you know, in the world, I don't necessarily personally classify Christianity as a religion, but that's another longer conversation. Uh, but it is called one of the world's religions. That grace is a distinctive within all of the religions of the world. That ultimately grace is what separates what Jesus did and why God sent Jesus. And for us to understand that our, our relationship with God is based on this idea of grace. First Peter Chapter 5, verse 10 says, and the God, first part of it says, and the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ. The God of what? The God of all grace. So this is one of the understandings that we have about God, that we know that God is love and and all, all the different definitions that we have of God's character, those are all still true. But we see this emphasis also in the scripture that God is the God of all grace. This is really good news for us. This is really um, wonderful for us to understand about the character and nature of God. Because it is the struggle for many people as it relates to their relationship with God. Is God a God of grace or is he like a super angry God? Is he mad at me? And he's wanting me to do these certain things so that somehow he will be pleased with me or that he will love me uh, more or he will accept me if I do all of these things. If I do a bunch of religious things or if I do a bunch of moral things, will God uh, appreciate me more and accept me more and then maybe bless me more if I do certain things? Or is God a God of grace? And like I said, it's so important for us to understand the concept, the doctrine uh, the word grace and what it would mean. And I'm going to give you a bunch of definitions here. And if you're taking notes, uh, I recommend that you write one of these down. Now, I'm going to give you a few definitions because one definition might not hit and it might not be like, I don't know if I understand that. So I'm going to give a bunch of definitions, just a bunch of different ways of explaining the word grace. And like I said, write one of these down if it hits with you so you can think about it later. And uh, so if, like we talked about, have your Bible, have your device out. So the word grace broadly describes the whole of God's activity towards man as a broad definition. All of God's activity towards us is called grace. As a narrow way to describe it, it is one segment of God's activity toward us. So in our lives, in different times, we need different things, don't we? That we struggle with things, maybe we struggle with relationships, we struggle with our finances, we struggle with sickness in our body, we struggle with decisions that we need to make. And so those narrow things, those things that we need specifically from God, those things that God does for us in those times, those are also described as grace. Another famous definition of grace is God's unmerited favor toward man, unmerited favor toward man. 
Now, the word, uh, the Greek word in the New Testament is charis, and it just means gift. Just a very simple way to explain the word grace is just a gift. And so, charis, you know, people that have the name, uh, male and female, variations of the word Chris or Christina or any variation of that name, Christopher. Your name means a gift. You are a gift to us if your name is Chris. And so that's uh, the definition of the word grace is also undeserved acceptance and love received from another. So we said that it's unmerited. Here's another word to describe it that helps us to see it. Grace is undeserved acceptance and love received from another. Undeserved favor granted by a superior to an inferior. So in this us talking about our relationship with God, that God being the superior gives grace to us, those who are inferior. It just grants it to us. The undeserved favor of God in providing salvation for those deserving condemnation. Grace is the undeserved favor of God in providing salvation for those deserving condemnation. That's us. Grace speaks of the saving activity of God, which is manifest in the gift of his son to die in the place of sinners. It's God saving activity. Grace is the activity of God, the saving activity of God, which we see in Jesus coming to die in our place. Here's another simple definition. Grace is a free gift. It's a free gift. Grace is gracious or merciful behavior of a more powerful person toward another. And I this, this one thought I have. So all of those I got from definitions from um, different sources. And then I was thinking about all these things. The Christian life from its beginning to its end is totally dependent on the grace of God. From beginning to end, our lives as followers of Jesus is completely dependent on the grace of God. Now think about this phrase now for a second. Because sometimes we just... Think of the word grace. Well, you know, who's going to say grace before we eat? That's great to do. And and why would we say grace before we eat? Because God gave us food. Are you aware of this? Did you know that you didn't create seeds? Did you know this? That you didn't create animals? That God gave us food. No, the farmer gave us food. Yeah, but the farmer didn't create the food. The farmer didn't create the seeds. He was just the wise one to follow God's plan, to put it in the soil and put some water on it so that it would grow. But God designed the food for you. You know, I was walking, doing some grocery shopping um, yesterday afternoon after I left here doing my message preparation. I texted my wife, as I always do. I'm like, babe, what do you need me to get to the store? And every day she sends me some sort of list. And as I was walking through the grocery store, I was looking at the different variations of apples. And I had just been thinking about the grace of God. And there's all these different types of apples. Have you ever noticed this? So I googled. How many types of apples are there? Do you know how many different types of apples there are? 7,500. What? We're like Red and Granny Smith. You know, and that's all that we are thinking about. But there are 70... God like went like way beyond. See, and that just, just that thought in creation, that's the type of God that we serve. He just gave us this wonderful gift 
of apples. So I got a little excited, and so I went, and how many types of bananas are there? There's a thousand types of bananas. We just eat one. We eat dole. (laughs) And if our finances are good, that we're going to get the organic. A thousand, I mean, you, we, and we apparently only 500 of them are edible. But a thousand types of bananas. What? God just gave us a gift. Apples and bananas. But what else is like that on the earth? Everything. Everything is a gift from God. Have you ever seen a beautiful sunset? And you're like, wow, you're like, that's amazing. What is that? That's just a gift. God just gave us a gift. What about flowers? Do you ever look at flowers? Man, those are really pretty. Why did, I mean, because, you know, generally speaking, we're not eating flowers. Maybe we are, I don't know. Maybe some people are. But what else are they for? They're just like for us to look at and be like, that's really pretty. Isn't that a gift to us? See, the world could have been black and whites and shades of gray. It could have been really, really boring. But God gave us all of these wonderful colors, all of these wonderful animals, all of these wonderful plants and fruits and vegetables, which we should eat, and animals and all the wonderful just different things God gives in creation. That should teach us a little bit. It should help us to understand who God is, that God is a lavish God. And he just pours out a bunch of gifts on us. And he poured it out even before we showed up. And he created all of this before we came along. And he prepared all of these gifts for mankind just because of the nature of his character. He is giver of gifts when we see the phrase sometimes you know what that person deserves grace no one deserves grace that's a contradiction because grace is unmerited and undeserved all grace is not deserved see grace is the thing that we want from people when we mess up when we make mistakes But when other people mess up and make mistakes, it's kind of the hard thing for us to give to them. It's hard to give grace because they actually don't deserve it. But this helps us to understand God's divine nature, who he is as a being, that God is the God of all grace, that he gives things to people who actually don't qualify for it. And this helps us to understand the nature of God. It helps us to understand the nature of Jesus as he came to the earth, that he lived a life for us, died on the cross, was buried, and he rose again. What did it all mean? What was it all for? It was all undeserved. We didn't deserve it, but he did it anyway. Listen, the minute you think you've earned it, it's no longer grace. Now, I want you to think about that for you long-timers. I'm a long-timer. I'm a lifer. Long-time church people. The minute you think you've earned it, it's not grace anymore. But God is the God of grace. And so for us, 
to have a relationship, a continuing, flourishing relationship with God. We have to believe that God is the God of grace. And at no point at any time in our relationship with God, based on our moral activity, our church activity, how ceremonial we can be, how we can maintain traditions in church, we will never qualify for the grace of God. The moment we think we deserved it, it's not grace anymore, but our relationship with God is only based on grace. Oh, it's so wonderfully freeing. It's all grace from beginning to end. We don't deserve it. It helps us to see the character of God. Grace, listen, is unmerited. It's unearned. It's undeserved. turn to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. We can see grace here. The images of grace right after the fall of man. We have these uh, famous ideas in our mind, um, you know, with Adam and Eve and how they sewed the fig leaves together. Do we remember this? And so all of our pictures and all of our children's books generally are Adam and Eve with like green leaves over all the special areas, Right? And so this is what we think of, but there, when we see the fall of man here in Genesis 3, this is the thing we think of. And the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. But here's a verse that we avoid many times or don't actually think about. Later on, God actually provided something for them. Genesis 3:21. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. So man did something for himself, but then God said, no, I'm going to do something for you. And this is what all of life is like, and this is what all religion is like. Religion is like, I'm going to do the fig leaves, God, and God in Christ is saying, no, I'm actually going to do something for you. Listen, in skin. In other words, Jesus is going to come in the flesh. I do something. I'm going to sew the fig leaves together. I'm going to do something for my situation, God. God says, no, I'm actually going to do something for your situation. What you do for your situation falls horribly short every time. So we see the images of grace right from the beginning. We want to do something. We want to accomplish something on our own. We just want to do it for ourselves. But God says, no, actually, I want to do it for you. I want to be involved in your life. I want to come in every circumstance in your life. I just want to give something to you. You're never going to qualify for it. You're never going to deserve it. You're never going to be good enough. You're never going to be moral enough, churchy enough, religious enough. But I want to provide for you. This is the nature of our Heavenly Father. We can see the images of grace from the very beginning. A very uh, famous book of the Bible, uh, the book of Galatians, is all about this idea of grace. Now, the Apostle Paul had planted um, churches in the Galatian region. Now, Galatia wasn't just one city. It was multiple cities. It was a region. And Paul had planted um, three different churches in Iconium, Derby, and Lystra. And if you ever look at the maps in your Bible, those are in the maps um, it explains to you that he planted churches in these different places, and this is called the Galatian region. 
And so he had planted these churches, talked to them about the gospel of Christ. And then he had left and gone away. And then he wrote a letter back to them because he had heard that they were moving away from the gospel. This gospel of grace as referred to in the book of Acts. And so Paul is writing back to these churches that he had planted. And he's um, contrasting and comparing for them. Helping them to understand or re-understand grace because they had moved away from it. Yes, we're going to believe in Jesus. We're going to uh, believe in the finished work of Jesus on the cross that he completed it all for us. But what was happening is the Judaizers were coming back in or people who had um, a religious Jewish background. And they were saying, oh yeah, yeah, Jesus is good and he did die on the cross. But you're, you're also going to need to add the practices of Moses. Uh, the ceremonial practices of Moses and the moral practice of Moses. And then you're going to have to, you know, get circumcised, guys, which which basically made it a church of women and children. And um, some of you will get it later, I guess. I don't know. Um, and so they had, he had established these churches on the teaching of Jesus, that Jesus died and completed the whole thing. Jesus on the cross said, it is finished. But then they came back and these people came back in and now these churches were changing that they were adding something to this idea of grace and then when you read through the book of Galatians, paul is basically ticked he's angry and a couple times you're just seeing he's very frustrated and he a couple times he gets a little bit sarcastic which i love about some of the practices that they're now uh, reinstituting these religious practices that they're going back to after receiving jesus so we're going to read some of these things that will help us to understand these ideas of grace. Galatians chapter 3, verse 1. It says this, You foolish Galatians. How's that for an encouragement? You know, they came to church and they were excited to, re- to read the letter from Paul who had planted them. And so they started reading it and then they got to this point in the letter and he calls them Foolish. But why is he calling them foolish? Let's read and see. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. In other words, when Paul was there and he had established a church, he had explained to them, not that they had physically seen Jesus die, but he was telling them the gospel story. He was portraying to them what the gospel was. Verse 2, I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? By the works of the law or by believing what you heard? In other words, faith, that you put your faith in. You believed in the gospel, that you believed Jesus finished the job on the cross. And then he's contrasting that with this idea of completing the law, the Mosaic law, the ceremonial law, the moral law in the Old Testament, the Ten Commandments plus... Uh, it had ballooned to up over 600 commandments. So he's asking them this question. And he's also implying the answer with the question. In other words, the Holy Spirit come into your life because you did ceremonial practices or you avoided certain things. Did the Holy Spirit come that way? Or did the Holy Spirit just come because you believed That God had provided something for you in Jesus. In other words, it was just a gift. Because the first one means you worked for it. The first one means I didn't do this. I didn't do this. I avoided this. We did the ceremonial practices that were taught to us in the Old Testament. 
you did the works of the law, and then, because you did the works of the law or avoided the things in the law, God gave you the Spirit. Because if God gives you the Spirit based on that, then you have deserved it. You have merited it. But the Spirit doesn't come that way. The Holy Spirit doesn't come based on us meriting. It just comes by grace. One of the definitions was what? It's a gift. It's a free gift. Verse 3. Are you so foolish? It goes again. After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? In other words, your starting place in your relationship with God is all grace. You, you, and then he's saying you can't start with grace and then finish by becoming, oh, I'm going to become extra moral, I'm going to become extra good, and I'm going to become extra religious, and then I'm going to start with grace, but then I'm going to finish just with what I can do. And what did I say? From beginning to end, our relationship with God is based on grace. Verse 4, having you, have you experienced so much in vain? In other words, it's worthless. If it was really vain, so I ask you again, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by you believing what you heard? Believing that Jesus died on the cross, finished the work. In other words, I am just going to trust that. I'm not going to work for it. I'm just going to believe that God gives me his grace. Not the works of the law. So he's reiterating the same idea. So now listen to what he says. So also Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then. And those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. And announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. Do you remember this? The story of Abraham. That God showed up to Abraham. And he said, I'm going to bless all nations through you. Not just the Jewish nation. Now the Jewish nation was going to be the conduit through which Jesus came. But the purpose of God establishing a covenant with Abraham. Was so that all nations would be blessed. And including the Gentile nations. In this time, and this church would be a Gentile church. In other words, a non-Jewish church. If you're not Jewish, you're a Gentile. It says, all nations will be blessed. Listen, verse 9. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. In other words, God just showed up in Abraham's life and called him. Do you remember this story? Not because he deserved it, because Abraham didn't deserve it. He was an idol worshiper. God showed up in the middle of Abraham's life and he called him. And then Abraham just believed that God invited him into this relationship. He just had faith in it. Verse 9, so those who rely on faith are blessed with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on the works of the law. Now listen, this is a harsh one. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. A curse that is written. Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith. 
The righteous will live. So cursed, it's a curse, listen, it's a curse to rely on yourself in life. It's a curse to rely on your ability to keep laws as it relates to your relationship with God. Moral laws and ceremonial laws, religious laws. It's a curse. It's pretty harsh words, isn't it? In other words, for me just to depend on myself, for me to sew fig leaves together, to cover my deficiencies and to cover my issues, and to me just to live life on my own, what I can think up, what I can dream up in my own strength, that's just a cursed way to live. But God actually wants to give us his grace. He wants to give us his ability, his love, his mercy, and it just comes as a gift. And we can see those two. It's just a better way to live. It's a better way to think about life. It's a free way to live. Not to think, because here is what he's saying. Uh, Chris is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Everything. In other words, 600 plus commands. Things to do and then things to avoid. 600 of them. Now, I love you and I know you're good people. But you aren't doing all of those. You're not accomplishing them. Well, I didn't kill anybody. Yeah, so there's 600 more to go. And I just know you because you're human and I know myself. We're not qualifying by accomplishing the law. And that's what he says for you. If you're going to do the law way, you got to do them all. You got to do all of them and it's impossible. This is one of the reasons why the law was given to show us that we couldn't actually do it. We couldn't actually complete all of those things. And he says, he calls it just a curse. It's just a cursed way to live, that we cannot rely on the law, our ability to do the law. Verse 16, the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. (coughs) Scripture does not say, and to his seeds, meaning many people, but an but, and to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. What I mean is this is what Paul, man, he's explaining all of this. It's wonderful. The law introduced 430 years later, talking about after Abraham, does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise that God is showing up to Abraham and, and saying that all of the nations are going to be blessed based on what God does. Verse 18, for if the inheritance depends on the law, then it no longer depends on the promise. But God, in his grace, gave it to Abraham through a promise. So grace, way back in Genesis chapter 12, way back at the beginning, Paul is helping us to see that right from the beginning of the scriptures that God is a God of grace. So if it depends on the law, once again, if it's depending on the law, my ability to keep the law, the the Mosaic law, the ceremonial law, then it actually doesn't come by grace anymore because then I have deserved it somehow. I have merited it by my actions. Paul is saying, no, it just comes by grace, the same way God showed up with Abraham. Verse 23, before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up 
until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came, that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. I don't, I'm not following the laws. Listen, I'm following Jesus. And when we follow Jesus, we will do the law of life. We're not just following rules and laws. We're following him. We're following Jesus who came in the flesh to accomplish something for us. Our, our understanding of Christianity is that we're not just following the rules and regulations. We're not just accomplishing things so that we can climb the mountain to God. That God has come off the mountain to us and then we follow him. The gospel is about Jesus. That Jesus did something for us. It's not dependent on a human being and their ability to follow the rules. As we would see in all of the other religions in the world. That we're just depending on what God has done in Christ. So the law was our guardian until Christ came so that we might be justified by faith. In other words, I'm going to believe the thing that God has provided by his grace. Now this faith has come. We are no longer under a guardian. So in Christ, I'm in Christ, I'm found in Christ. That is our boast. Our boast is in Jesus. Our boast is not in how good we are. Our testimony, whenever we give a testimony, is that God has saved me. God has done something in my life. Not, you know, I was, real, I was really a bad person. But then I fixed myself up. And then I decided to follow Jesus. No, that is not our testimony. Our testimony is we had nothing without Jesus. I was useless. I could not follow the rules. Hey, I'm educated and I'm smart and I'm whatever. I've got some dignity and I'm a Canadian citizen. That doesn't qualify me for anything. Grace is unmerited. So our testimony is Jesus did it for me. That's our testimony. That's our story. Well, I was really bad. And then one day I just decided to be really good. Well... I'm glad that you decided to be a good person. But you being good doesn't save you. And that is not the testimony. The testimony is I'm nothing without Jesus. I couldn't have a relationship with God without Jesus. Verse 27, for all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. Clothed in Christ. Not clothed in my ability to complete the moral laws, the ceremonial laws. No, I'm just, I just, Jesus. I'm going to just, Jesus. I'm going to rely on Jesus. His perfect record, listen, his perfect record becomes the record that God gives to me because Jesus accomplished it, not because I accomplished it. And so I, I get to be righteous, not because of anything I did or didn't do. It just comes as a gift. It's just a gift. It's just a gift. It's free. It's unmerited. You can't qualify for it. Stop trying. 
found in Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile nor slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Listen, the promise that God makes. So God makes a promise to us. God gives us something. And we're heirs to that promise when we just choose to believe it by faith. We just trust. We put our trust in God. (laughs) Then I'm relying on the God of all grace. The God of all grace. See, we, we pray, and we pray all the time around here. We pray... In the name of Jesus. Now this is not abracadabra. This is not whatever. That's not what that's supposed to mean. What we're saying is that we pray. We're not coming in ourselves. That's why we pray in the name of Jesus. Because what, listen, what do we have to offer God? Tell me what you have. That he already hasn't given to you. What if we go and find half of the apple types in the world? 3750. God, I found 3750 of the apple types that you have created and I offer these things to you. And he's like, I actually gave those to you. What can we have? What can we create that we could offer to God? The creator of the heavens and the earth, the creator of the universe, the creator of physics and math and chemistry. And all of the things that we look at and observe with our scientific minds and we marvel at. He created all of those things. He created those things. What can we give to him? What can we offer to him? Can we offer to him our morality? Can we offer to him, and this is what I've seen in my life, can we offer to him our religious church tradition? And to think arrogantly, somehow God is going to move in our midst greater because of our traditions. No, God is a God of grace alone. Only grace. It only comes by grace. Healing only comes by grace. Salvation only comes by grace. Me having the Holy Spirit in my life only comes by grace. It does not come by me naming the tradition of my forefathers. And whatever that denomination is and whatever their approach, it is only by the grace of God. Only by the grace of God. And it's just a gift to us. And it's just, it, listen, it is just the only way to live. Otherwise, we will be striving forever and ever to be a good enough man, and you can't be. And to be a good enough woman, and you can't be. And to be the perfect spouse, and you can't be. To be the person professionally who can achieve all things in the highest of heights, but you're going to fall short. We can live our lives on this treadmill, trying to achieve and trying to to, uh, strive for it. God just says, you know what? I, I, I give it to you. 
Stop, try, stop striving. It just comes by grace. We're almost done here. First Timothy chapter 1. Man, we're going to have a fun few weeks talking about grace, I tell you. First Timothy chapter 1, verse 13. This is Paul talking about his life. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, Paul, who wrote almost two-thirds of the New Testament, was once a persecutor of the church, once had the ability to kill people, and was party to murder. He was a really bad dude. He was not a good guy. He was the type of guy, listen, that we wouldn't actually give grace to. He, he's not. As a human being, we just wouldn't give grace to this person who was persecuting the church. He was a violent man. And he says, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. Verse 14, the grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Paul was a really bad guy. Now, I, to be honest with you, I, am, I wasn't as bad as Paul. I wasn't, I mean, I was frustrated with church at different times in my life. I don't know, I didn't, I don't know if I ever, well, maybe. I, I don't know that I was a church persecutor as my job. But Paul says that the grace of God was poured out on him and, and the faith that we have in Jesus and the love of God Now, your story is probably not as bad as Paul. Maybe it was worse. I don't know. But I do know whatever measure of story we can describe, none of us qualified for the love and grace of God. And if anything, this series should help us just to love God more. Once we see the character and nature of who God is, I mean, we, and we can want it. We can want it to be religious. We can want it to be my way and my way of doing things, and I'm going to do certain things a certain way, and blah, 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 and I'm going to find my way into God's good graces. And we can want it to be that way, and we might want to argue it. But it actually can never be that way. It can only be the way Paul is describing, that I was this type of person, and then the grace of our Lord, what was it? It was just poured out. Did Paul deserve it? Did Paul merit it? Did Paul qualify for it? No, but then it was poured out on him. What about us? Paul is telling us this so that we know that the grace of God is poured out on us. You might think in here, well, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just, you know, this week I just, you know, I yelled at this person, I cut this person off and traffic and, and maybe swore at somebody this week and I was mean to my spouse and then I was frustrated with my kids. I don't, 
I don't actually qualify for it. But that's what qualifies you for it, is that you don't qualify for it. That sounds strange. You're the very recipient of it. See, for those of us in Eden here who think we don't need it, that's the problem. That's where the problem comes in. That was Jesus' problem with the religious leaders. They didn't think they needed it. They didn't think they needed the grace of God. For those of us who don't think we're good enough, that's the first step. Because then God just pours on his grace upon us. In every respect. Romans 11.6 For it if it is by grace for if it is by grace it is no longer on the basis of works otherwise grace would no longer be grace. See we, we we actually want the grace of God. In our heart of hearts this is the thing that we need. I mean we can try to hold the facade of perfection it's not going to last though to anybody who knows us we can try to hold up the facade of ultimate achievement and an educated mind and a sophisticated disposition but we actually in our heart of hearts we just know we need the grace of God we know we fall short in so many ways So we don't actually want it to be on the basis of works. Last verse. Ephesians 1 verse 6 says this. To the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves, talking about Jesus. In him, talking about Jesus, we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Listen, I love this phrase. That he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. See, partly my goal in this series is that at the end of each message, all we can actually do is say, thank you, God, for your grace. Because we are lost without it. And I just don't mean lost in one way. I mean we are lost in every sense of the word without the grace of God. Lost eternally, yes, but then lost every day. Without depending on the creator God. Who lavishes his grace on us. Why would we resist it? Why would we try to do life on our own? Why would we try to do our job on our own without the grace of God? Because he actually just pours it out on us. Why would we try to be a husband or a wife without the grace of God that he just lavishes on us every day? All we can do is thank you God for your grace 
Let's just pray. Father, we are thankful today for your grace. Words cannot describe how thankful we are that you are the God of all grace. Father, and we just pray that you forgive us in those areas that we try to think in our arrogance that we qualify for any of this. We just humble ourselves once again and we just yield ourselves. Lord, and we just believe. We just believe in your grace. We just believe in your grace, Lord, for our families and for our finances and for our healing. We just believe in your grace for our jobs and our careers and our choices. That you are just freely giving to us all that we need. And Lord, forgive us for these areas that we haven't reached out for your help. That we haven't reached out for your goodness. Because we want to walk in all of the grace that you are desiring to give us. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for your support. If you want to connect with us, you can find us online at thecitychurch.ca. 